Hello, and welcome back to From My Mom's Basement. I'm your host, David Chamberlain, and this is episode 26 of the podcast, titled Skull, written by myself. Thank you all for listening. From there, the wind came down fast and low, burning cold. The old man brought up his collar and dug his chin into his chest. Across the field, bent over some kind of dirt pile, was the kid. Get on back here, boy, he said. The wind's picking up. The kid perked up, turned back to face the old man. His little face was gray and flat in the failing light. The old man could just make out his dark features, his wiry hair whipping in the wind. There's some kind of skeleton or something in the dirt here, the kid yelled back, his frail voice diminished in the wind. Maybe it's a fossil. Ain't no skeletons in this field, the old man said. We ain't got nothing like that here. Come on now. The old man's fingers fizzled with cold. He rubbed them together, cupped them over his mouth, and blew hot air against them. He looked past the kid towards the tool shed and to where the forest began. Beyond the forest, the mountains sprang up like fangs, purple and black in the twilight. Another gust of wind, fierce and shrieking, broke across the field. The old man shivered. Come on back here. You'll catch a cold. Pulling something from the dirt, the kid turned and came running back towards the old man, his toothy grin glowing in the dark. Look at this, Pa, he said as he ran, his voice bouncing with each footfall. Look at this. The kid held something out in front of him, held it tight with both hands. As he came closer, the old man saw it was the color of mottled ivory. Look! The kid said again as he reached the old man. He was out of breath, and goosebumps ran up his skinny forearms. What is it? The old man asked, taking the thing from the kid's pale fingers. A skull! The kid said. The old man ran the ivory thing over in his tingling hands. It felt cold and dry and brittle. Two eye sockets, black and unseen, looked up at the old man. It was, indeed, a skull. What kind of animal was it? The kid asked. The old man shrugged. Mm, could have been a lot of different things. It's kind of scary, the kid said. The old man nodded. Yes, he said. These things are. Uh, can, can we take it inside? The kid asked. So we can clean it up? The old man nodded again. Sure. The room was dark, and they ate their dinner in silence. Mashed potatoes, carrots, and meatloaf. The little lamp in the kitchen was all the light they had. Shadows covered half the house, sharp and deep. Outside the windows, the world was black. A soft wind tickled the window panes and made the roof squeak and crack. Don't forget your carrots now, the old man said, pointing to the kid's plate. The kid rolled his carrots over with his fork and frowned. I'm not hungry anymore, Pa. You want to get big, don't you? The old man asked. Big like those boys you play with up the road. Gotta eat more. The kid groaned and shoveled a carrot into his mouth. You done all your chores today? The old man asked. The kid nodded. Yes, Pa. And you remember tomorrow morning I gotta go up to the Harper's farm. You remember that, don't you? Yes, Pa. You'll need to slop the pigs and tend to things while I'm away. How long are you going to be gone? The kid asked, 
poking at his food. Not more than a few hours. Mr. Harper's sick. I'm just going to help with things. Can I trust you to take care of everything? Yes, Pa. Good, the old man said, scooping the last bit of potato off his plate. You finish up now, and we can have a look at that skull of yours. The kid's eyes lit up, and he tackled his food with a renewed vigor. The old man held the skull in front of the fireplace. Flames flickered in its dark eye sockets. They had scrubbed and cleaned it in the wash basin, and now, standing before the fire, both father and son were trying to identify what kind of animal it had been. It was heavy in the old man's hands, and its teeth were still sharp. Could have been a cougar, Pa, the kid said, leaning against the old man. No, no, it's, it's much too small, the old man said, turning the skull around in the firelight. What do you think it is? The kid asked. Might be a dog skull, maybe. Of course, I don't know how it would have got on our land. It was out there a while, whatever it was. Why do you think that? See how wide it is? Skulls don't get that way unless they've been out a long time. Oh, the kid said, reaching for the skull. Can I see it? Here you go, the old man said, hold it near the light. The kid took the skull and moved near the fire, holding it in the light. The jaw was long and salient and contained more teeth than what seemed natural. Tapering into something like a pointed vertex, the backside of the skull was less round than it was sharp. And instead of being spherical or ovoidal, it was almost triangular in shape. In truth, the old man had never seen anything like it. To him, it was almost alien, otherworldly. But that was something he kept to himself. Think the rest of the body is still out there? The kid asked. The old man fell into his armchair and sighed, stretching his feet towards the fireplace. Could be. Maybe we should go out and look for it. The old man closed his eyes and clasped his hands over his chest. Maybe tomorrow, if we get our work done. But now, now I think it's time you got to bed. But Pa, I want to figure out where this came from, the kid said, running his fingers over the pale bone. Tomorrow. The old man said, Now you run along to bed. You got a big morning. The kid groaned and made to walk out of the room. Uh, 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 the old man said. You leave that thing in here. Put it up on the mantelpiece. Embarrassed, the kid hung his head and shuffled over to the mantel, carefully placing the skull on the wooden ledge. Night, Pa, the kid said, solemnly. Night, boy, the old man said without getting up. The kid's footsteps creaked as he left the room. Moments later, the old man heard the creaking of bed springs and knew his child had done as he had asked. Now the old man slid down in his armchair and let the fire tickle him with warmth. Drowsiness took hold of him, and he slipped away to a deep slumber. His dream began with vague colors and then blossomed into a glittering network of fractals, expanding in bizarre geometry and then collapsing again into blackness. This pattern repeated itself for a time. Then it broke away into a cloudy world of grayish stone. It was a dark and foggy world, clouded in thick mists which were broken only by rocky outcroppings, jagged and the color of ivory. Here, in this strange world, he heard the voice of the kid calling for him. His voice was afraid. Then he woke up. It was very dark past midnight, 
the old man guessed. The fire had burned down to a healthy bed of coals, pulsing white and orange. He sat up in his armchair, rubbed his eyes, and looked at the mantelpiece. The skull was gone. He pulled his stiff body out of the armchair and shook his head. That damn kid, he whispered. He sighed, cracked his neck, and headed for bed. Stepping softly through the dark house, the old man felt his right foot knock against something and then heard a scraping sound as the object slid across the hard wood. The object wobbled to a stop, making a hollow thumping sound as it returned to stillness. Bending over at the waist, the old man searched for the object in the dark, his fingers crawling over the floor. They landed on a cold, hard mass. The old man felt teeth and the long slope of a jaw. The skull was in the middle of the floor. Picking it up, the old man grumbled and stomped back to the fireplace, where he put it back on the mantelpiece. Ooh, that kid'll get an earful tomorrow, the old man said, shaking his head. Heading to sleep, the old man didn't seem to wonder why the kid would have taken the skull, only to leave it in the middle of the hallway near his father's bedroom. If he had, perhaps he wouldn't have slept so soundly. In the morning, the kid woke up to an empty house. It took him a moment to orient himself. He had had a terrible dream in which he was lost in a foggy world of grayish stone. An unknown predator was stalking him in the mists. The old man had already gone to the Harpers, and everything was silent. The kid crawled out of bed and threw on his clothes, shivering in the morning cold. He laced his boots with numb fingers and went into the dining room, where his father left him a plate of toast and sausage, which was now cold. Grease congealed around the links of meat, brown and thick. The kid wasn't hungry. He headed outside, stepping through the living room and stopping for a moment beside the mantelpiece, just to give the skull a quick look. Its empty sockets seemed to look down at him and made him feel heavy and tired and disoriented. Something inside the kid recognized the skull, recognized it from his strange dream in the rocky world. He averted his gaze and ran outside. The ground was wet from a night of rain, but it was clear now, and the air was outstandingly cold. In the far horizon, dark thunderheads lurked in the sky, stretching on for miles and shrouding the distant mountains in deep shadow. Lightning sparked somewhere behind the clouds, flashing without thunder. The kid began his chores as the old man had asked. He started with the pigs entering the barn and filling their trough with lumpy, cold slop. The swine were restless this morning, shrieking and squealing and acting disturbed. They paid no attention to their food, instead ran around in circles throwing mud and long arcs behind their cloven feet. The kid watched them for a moment, watched them topple and roll and scream, and then moved on. Wind sung high in the rafters of the barn, wood beams creaked and small birds tweeted nervously. These things foretold a great storm, the kid knew. Hopefully he could finish with his chores before the clouds arrived. He scattered some feed for the chickens and collected their eggs and then went on to the stables to check on the horses. The path between the barn and the stables was nothing but a dirt trail, zigzagging some hundred yards through undergrowth and sagebrush. As the kid came up this trail, the sky above him darkened and the trees whipped and whispered. A chill ran down his body forcing his shoulders to quiver. Shaking off this chill, the kid came around a switchback in the path, 
and stopped dead in his tracks. There it was, sitting in the middle of the path before him, white and pristine and smiling. The skull. Huh? The kid said, under his breath. He suddenly felt a heavy weight on him, like a kind of sickness that made it impossible to breathe. He walked towards the skull, carefully, slowly, becoming very conscious of the noise his boots made in the dirt. Crunch. 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 He was sure the skull was smiling at him. He came to a stop just before it and looked down on its wide, unnaturally sharp jaw. He felt sick, like he might throw up. The world started to spin around him. Images of that strange world danced in his head. The wind blew very hard now, spraying dirt against his pants and making the trees bend and moan. He began to cry. Pa, he muttered. Pa, I'm scared. Closing his eyes, the kid kicked wildly at the skull. He felt the bone give against the toe of his boot and heard the sound of it roll across the dirt, thumping over the ground like a soccer ball. When he opened his eyes, the skull was gone, thrown off the path into the underbrush somewhere. He took a deep breath, felt a little less afraid, and took off running towards the stables. The wind was a gale now, whipping his shirt tight against his body and shooting twigs like missiles through the air. Bad things were happening in the stable. When the kid got inside, he found one of the horses, his father's prized mare, lying on its side, blood leaking from its mouth. The other horses were bucking and neighing and causing a real fuss. Meanwhile, the stable itself shuddered under the force of the wind. The kid ran to the lying mare and kneeled beside her head. Her eyes were wide and black and lifeless. He was no equine expert, but the kid recognized death. He knew the mare was dead. Blood stained the hay straws beside her mouth, brown and thick. Now a crash of thunder came, loud enough to make the kid jump, which was followed by the onset of rain. It tapped against the roof of the stable, gentle and shy, and then grew into a torrent, thumping against the roof of the stable in heavy waves. Rivulets of water squeezed through the roof of the stable, falling on the horses and making them even more restless and wild. The storm was upon the kid now. Outside, it was nearly as dark as night. Leaving the mare's side, the kid moved to the door of the stable, looking out at the weather. Rain pounded through the sagebrush and made tree limbs bend and quiver. The dirt path back to the barn was muddy and viscous and dark. He needed to get back to the house and wait for his paw there. That's what he'd do. He'd have to run. He couldn't stay out here in the stable, not with the dead horse and the skull lurking out there somewhere in the weeds. A bolt of lightning reached down from the heavens in a gnarled streak of light that burned into the kid's eyes. It touched the field beyond the barn house. Dirt was thrown and charred to ash, and the atmosphere cracked and shrieked, and the kid thought the world was ending. Rain came down even harder now. Checking his boots, the kid made sure his laces were tight. Then, squinting in preparation for the rain, the kid took a deep breath and ran out of the stable, leaving the distressed horses behind him. He slogged down the dirt path towards the barn, his boots suctioning in the mud. His clothes were soaked and his hair hung in damp strings in front of his eyes. He could hardly see. He just had to make it back to the house.
Another streak of lightning sprang out of the clouds, twisting its long electrical finger into a conifer some ten yards from the kid. The kid was blinded, and he felt a rush and a buzz of static electricity. The roar of the thunderclap was so unnaturally loud it made his ears go deaf and then ring. He lost his balance, stumbled, tripped, and then fell hard against the ground. When his vision came back, he found himself off the path, tangled in weeds and sagebrush. Sitting on the ground before him, smiling between feathery shoots of undergrowth, was the skull, glistening with rainwater. When the old man got back to the house, the storm was already gone. A few dry wisps of cloud remained high in the sky, but all the storm clouds had moved on, receding in the distance. He plodded through the muddy driveway and went inside the house, expecting to find the kid at the dinner table, messing with the skull. But the house was empty and dark and cold. There was that peculiar emptiness in the air that denoted the absence of any recent human activity. The old man took off his gloves and pulled his scarf away from his chin. Boy, he called. His voice bounced around the empty house. No answer. He sighed and went to the kitchen to make himself a quick meal. He slapped together a sandwich of cold ham, cheese, whole wheat bread, and horseradish. He made a second sandwich for the kid, wrapped it in a napkin, and went back outside. He didn't notice the skull was no longer on the mantelpiece. He stopped on the back stoop of the house and looked out at the farm, the field, and the barn house, and the stable in the distance. It was very quiet. The barn door hung open. It creaked. The old man took a bite of his sandwich and stepped off the stoop and meandered towards the barn. The air was crisp, but the sun was out now and was warm on his back. He stopped in the middle of the yard and made a 360 spin on his heels, looking for the kid. Boy. He called again. Some bits of sandwich flew out of his mouth. Mm. He went inside the barn. The ground was muddy and everything smelled sour and wet. Boy, boy, are you in here? I got you a sandwich. He walked to the pig pen and checked on the animals there. The swine were calm now. Most were sleeping comfortably in their muck. One ate mindlessly from the trough, paying no mind to the old man. A cold drop of water hit the back of the old man's head and slithered down his neck. He shivered and rubbed his neck and looked up to the ceiling of the barn. Water was running off the rafters in long, glassy fingers. The droplets broke away from the roof and tapped against the straw-covered ground in polite pitter-patters. It was all very peaceful. Rubbing his wrinkled face, the old man sighed and went out of the barn. He took to the dirt path towards the stables. No sign of the kid anywhere. There were, however, some small footprints left in the muddy path. The old man noticed these and shook his head. What's he still doing in the stable? He said to himself. As the old man approached the stable, he called out for his child once more. Willie, boy, what are you still doing out here? He swung open the stable doors, expecting to find his child. Instead, he found the dead mare on the ground and a few skittish horses. Dear Lord, the old man whispered. The sheriff's deputy arrived later that night. He was a young, sharp-looking fellow with an education. He spoke well. The old man brought him inside and led him to the living room so they could speak by the fire. It was bewilderingly cold out. 
The deputy shook off the cold and flayed his hands open towards the fire, letting the heat lick his palms. Yeah, you know, I think it's pretty simple, really, the deputy said, almost smiling. Yeah, nothing to worry about. Oh, the old man said, standing with his arms folded. How do you figure that? Well, it's a simple case of a runaway. He's probably hiding out on your property somewhere. What I suppose happened is this. He saw that one of your horses had died and thought he was going to get in trouble for it. So he ran away. He's just waiting for things to blow over. That's it. It's too cold to be hiding out anywhere right now. He'll freeze to death. Hmm, the deputy said, looking at his hands, and then the fire, and then back at his hands again. It is damn cold out there tonight. Do you have any relatives nearby? Any, any friends he might have run off to? The old man snapped his tongue. He's got a couple friends he plays with up the road. Well, see? Couldn't he be at their place? Have you checked with them? The old man shrugged and waved his head as if to weigh the validity of the idea. Could be, I guess, yeah. But he should know better than to run off without telling me. The deputy smiled. I I guess he'll be learning that lesson soon enough, huh? I don't know, officer. Something just don't feel right, the old man said, seriously. How old is he again? The deputy asked. Nine. And you just left him here alone? Officer, it was... It was just for an hour, uh, or two. It's Mr. Harper. He's sick. You know, I was helping the Harpers. The deputy nodded solemnly and thought for a moment. Has anything unusual happened here lately? How do you mean? Oh, well, I don't know. Anything out of the ordinary? Have you seen a stranger come this way? Someone you, you don't recognize? Anything like that? Oh, no, officer. Nothing like that. Well, actually, we did find this, uh... Eh, it's not important. What? The deputy asked. What is it? Well, we found this... Wait a minute. Where is it? What? My boy. He, well, he found this, this really queer, queer skull last night out in the field. It's like nothing I'd ever seen. It, it should be right on the mantelpiece here. He must, have, he must have took it with him somewhere. The deputy rolled his eyes. You know what? He's probably up the road showing those friends of his the skull. That's what it is. He just wanted to show off. Huh. The old man furrowed his brow and ran his hand along the mantelpiece, as if to divine the whereabouts of the skull. He thought briefly of that strange world of grayish stone. It's strange, the old man said. It's very strange. I understand you're worried. You're his father, after all. But listen, I'm sure he'll turn up before the hour passes. Kids do these things. I mean, where's he going to run off to anyway? There's, there's nothing around for miles. Now, as if on cue, there was a skittering sound near the front door and a sheepish little knock. The deputy and the old man whipped their heads around to face the door. Well, look at that, the deputy said smiling wide. Speak of the devil. Want me to give him a talking to? I can scare him a little. The old man started toward the front door. No, no, that's all right. I'll speak to him myself. The old man got to the door, the deputy flanking him, and swung it open. The kid wasn't there. No one was there. 
Light from inside poured out on the front stoop, painting the front driveway with a shallow glow. Shadows sprung up against the light. The men stood in the doorway for a moment, just looking. There was nothing but silence and darkness and cold. Well, this must be some kind of a prank, the deputy said, moving outside. I bet it's your kid and those boys. Look, the old man said. There it is. There it is right there, the skull. The deputy stopped, turned back to see where the old man was looking, and then looked at the ground near his feet. It was barely visible in the shallow light, but it was there, smiling right beside the deputy's leather boots. It was, indeed, the skull. What the? The deputy said, reaching down and picking up the skull. What is this? After scouring the front yard for 20 minutes, searching for the kid and his ne'er-do-well friends, the deputy and the old man retreated back inside to warm themselves and to make a plan. The old man returned the skull to its spot on the mantelpiece and began pacing the living room, chewing on his knuckles and shaking his head. Oh, they have to be out there somewhere, all right, the deputy said, crouching down and stoking the fire. Here's what I'm going to do. Are you listening? The old man stopped pacing and nodded. Yeah, he said. I'm listening. Go ahead. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head up to your kid's friend's house. I'm going to see if those folks know anything about what's going on. You'll stay here in case your kid comes back. I shouldn't be gone longer than half an hour, okay? The old man nodded. Sure, I guess. Sure. The deputy stood, turned, approached the old man, and put his hand on his shoulder. Don't worry, sir, the deputy said. We'll get this figured out. The old man nodded. Uh-huh. The deputy moved past the old man and left the house. Forty-five minutes passed, and there was no sign of the deputy. The night was drawing on now, each second an eternity in the old man's heart. He stood in front of the fireplace, his arms crossed and his toes tapping, and his deep-set eyes locked on the skull. It looked different now, the skull. Something about its smile was vaguely transformed from how he remembered it. Its grin was larger, more gratified. The old man stepped close to the skull and leaned in towards its lightless sockets. He could smell notes of minerals and of dirt and of something else, something he couldn't totally identify, but seemed to be connected to that rocky world he dreamed of. It was an alien smell, the smell of another world. That feeling, the same one the kid experienced, the one of disorientation and heaviness and suffocation filled the old man's bosom. He struggled to breathe. He took a step back and grabbed at his throat. Oh, uh, the old man mumbled. He disengaged the skull and looked at the floor in front of him. The feeling of suffocation faded, but a lingering sense of terror still tingled his spine. It was a kind of despair he couldn't shake. He entertained a curious thought then, one that made him angry. Maybe this skull had done something with his child. Yes, maybe this skull was the cause of all this. Where is he? The old man asked, returning his gaze to the skull. Where's my son? The skull smiled. Where is he? He asked again, this time louder, angrier. Where's my child? What did you do to him? The skull smiled. 
Where'd you take him? The old man said. What did you do with him? The skull smiled. What did you do to him? In his rage, the old man took the skull from the mantelpiece and threw it against the hardwood floor. The brittle bone shattered into dozens of jagged, calcified jigsaw pieces. The shards spun against the wood, scattering themselves across the floor like broken glass. The skull was effectively destroyed. Only some fragments of jaw and teeth were recognizable. The old man stood over the pile of broken bone, panting with anger. His face was flushed, and his eyes were wild. Where's my boy? The old man whimpered, falling into his armchair. He dropped his head into his palms and moaned. The kid wasn't found that night, or the night after that, or the night after that, either. A search party was formed, made up mostly of the old man's family and friends and local law enforcement. The deputy was there. The Harpers were, too. They stalked the browning fields and dying forests, crunching over dead leaves and frosted dirt. They found derelict, half-buried bicycles and sheets of corrugated steel. They found age-old newspaper clippings and rusted-out tin cans. They found all kinds of currency, dimes, pennies, old quarters, and they found clothes that once belonged to large men. But there was no trace of the kid. Nothing. Not a footprint or a stray piece of clothing or a shoelace. Weeks passed, and the search parties dwindled, and the old man found himself alone in his house, neglecting his daily chores. The farm was in shambles. But what could he do? What was there to care for now? When he slept, on those rare nights when he could fall asleep, he saw that world of grayish stone, and he heard his child's voice calling for him, afraid. And sometimes, he saw the skull there. Yet here the skull was no longer disembodied. It was attached to a long humanoid body and was clothed in pale, translucent skin. Its smile was still there, wide and devilish, and its long extremities reached out like feelers on some sickly insect searching in the fog, searching, seeing. For the head itself was still eyeless, the sockets of the skull were still empty, even when alive and moving. The old man innately knew what this devil was searching for. His child. He told no one of these dreams, but the old man was sure that his child was out there somewhere, alive and afraid, in a world perhaps parallel to his own, being hunted by a strange and otherworldly thing. To what end, the old man could not begin to know. To what end, he didn't want to begin to imagine. He would never mention this to anyone. He wouldn't want his ideas to be interpreted as the madness of a grieving father. He was content to keep this to himself. And was, in a kind of perverted way, gladdened by these dreams. Perhaps his child was still alive somewhere. And maybe he would always be able to hear his voice in his dreams even if his voice was shrieking in terror. Thank you all for listening. That was episode 26 of the podcast, titled Skull. This episode was written, edited, produced, and narrated by myself, with the music being by 
Kevin McLeod. Thank you all again for listening.